imagination is antithetical to white supremacy. It completes in so many ways, it, it forces you to always be in the moment, to always be fighting for right now, to always be having to figure out right now. We need people across generations thinking about what can be. Welcome to You Better, a show about personal discovery and love. I'm your host, Keisha Garrison, and I'm on that journey of knowing and loving who I really am every day, just like you. I want you to come face to face with yourself and be proud of what you see. My friend, it's time to do better. It's time to you better. Now let's get to it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Today, I am in conversation with the Zarandrian Morris. Zarandrian was a year ahead of my class at Spelman College, and she was one of those people that reminded me of home and made me feel seen on that campus. So it was a joy to reconnect with her after many years in a really serendipitous way. It was during an Instagram live event for someone else that we know in common. Her Instagram handle is at the ignorant intellectual, and it is one of my favorites. Zarandrian is the owner and principal strategist of the Ignit Intellectual Group, LLC. It's a consulting and strategy social enterprise that guides organizations and companies through the process of transforming themselves into anti-racist places of business. She also just launched a new apparel brand for all us funny acting Black girls out here, so that is something to check out too. Now, today's episode with Zarandrian is really important to me. Because one of the main things I want to do with you better is to invite you to question the social structures and systems that ingrain in us the markers of identity that we carry around and that we hold others to. One of the most powerful of these systems is white supremacy. The delusions it produces, the limitations it places on us, and the harm it causes everyone to inflict on each other all over the globe, it's arguably immeasurable at this point. Talking about self-discovery without unpacking how white supremacy impacts us would be futile, in my opinion. So we have to talk about it. And in talking about it, we help take some of the Voldemort sting out of hearing about it. And look, if you are a person who just can't handle conversations or hear wisdom that comes with the spice of subcussing, then this episode is really for you. Because learning to recognize that brilliance doesn't always come in a package customized for your particular taste is a huge part of the point of our discussion today. So with that, let's get into it. I'm excited for you to meet Zarandria Morris. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this with me and for sitting down. I feel honored that you said yes. No, 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 no. (laughs) I. Look, let me just tell you, I was... um, I've been liking ignorant intellectual Instagram posts many times. Things will come across the timeline and you just like, oh yeah, that's the note right there. They saying what needs to be said, like, like. <laughs> and then it wasn't until we were on that live and your your face popped up in connection to that Instagram <laughs> thing. And I was like, now hold on seen now. seen this face before. <laughs> now hold on now. And somebody in the comments says, Arandria. And I was like, I don't know, but one. <laughs> and I always say, this is going to sound so fucked up. If I ever meet another Zarandrian, <laughs> It's on site. <laughs> on site dislike. 
It's like, you could be a better human than me. I just don't like you. I say, and I know that's the only child spoiled brat in me, but on site dislike. Wow. Because I'll tell you, that's a hallmark name right there. As soon as I saw it, Zarandrian is behind Ignite Intellectual. That's why it's so good. That's why it's so good. That's why. Ah, so, look at you. For all the people who don't know Zarandrian, can you share who are you today? How would you describe yourself? Today, yeah. I am a capital B Black, yes. native New Orleanian, not NOLA. DC resident who identifies as non-binary, a girl, uh, female socialized, only child, mm. uh, I backslid into biting my nails again. Oh no. Um person who has quit a six-year job as a Columbia professor. Don't think I'm going back to Columbia. Who quit a full-time job at DOH and launched their own consulting organization to help companies be as anti-racist as possible. Person who lives with alopecia. I'm a lot. You're a lot of good things. Oh, thank you. It's Garrison. <laughs> You know what? You got a name that I feel like they have a couple people from high school who you always say their first and last name. Mm. You got a no Keisha Garrison on the way. You know what? People you got a first say the and whole last name. name. You got a first last name name. Thank you for making me aware of that because people really do say the whole thing. Mm. Yes, I, I and not that. because Keisha is a popular black girl name, but because you have a first and last name name. Just go together. Because it could be that it's like, it's too many Keishas out here. So we got to distinguish which Keisha we talking about. <laughs> no, it's not that. I mean, you we could say Keisha G. I mean, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. And I that just was feel lovely. like I would always say your full name. I love it. I love it. I, I will occupy that up in people's mouth. Let me just take up all <laughs> the space that I can. <laughs> yes. I love it. So when you think about that description of yourself, today where you are and all the things that that you just laid down and would middle school you like really young you be surprised by any of that she would be both surprised and not surprised all mm. at the same time um middle school is what seventh grade yeah seventh, like seventh grade seventh grade zarandrian well in seventh grade i didn't really identify with zarandrian because my childhood nickname is shoney so up until probably Spelman graduation, I was Shoni. Um, so seventh grade Shoni would be surprised that I am bald and living with alopecia because seventh grade Shoni was very cocky about her hair. Got it done every two weeks. Had absorbed a lot of whitewashed messages because in 93, we were not the proud black kids running around with coiled no. hair. We were frying, dying, slicking, perming our hair in 93. <laughs> yes, we were. We were encoding messages that however it comes out the root is not good. And you must do something to it. Yeah. So seventh grade Shoney would never have thought you're going to live more of your life without hair than with hair. And I talk about hair because hair is a lot for black girls. Yeah. 
And I'm gonna talk about black girls because that's what I know. Like hair could be a lot for white girls too. I don't know. But hair is a lot for black girls. Seventh grade Shoni was deeply new. I didn't have the language, but I knew like this ain't it. I went to a lot of white schools, a lot of white teachers. I was suspended in detention all the time. Mm. But I had straight A's and I was filling a quota. So they made a lot of concessions because Patricia paid on time for tuition. But what I was experiencing was being a really black kid sitting inside of these white institutions and the shit, it just was not adding up. So seventh grade Shoni was like pushing against, but it was interpreted as C in conduct. Trouble is you know, here. Trouble is hell, belligerent. We're going to put you in suspension and detention all the time. Mm. I would have been expelled from black schools if I'd have had as many write-ups. I probably wouldn't have had as many write-ups in black schools, but I would have been, if I did, I, there's no absolutely no way that people wouldn't have kicked me out of this school for as much as I was in Saturday school detention and suspension. Right. Well, I was exactly about to wonder the same thing you just said. If you had been in a black school, if they would have interpreted your behavior in the same no, way. I doubt it. Yeah. This brings me to the consultancy that you started this entity that you lead called the Ignite Intellectual Group. And I, I, when I hear about young you being you the way you needed to be and that being read as a problem, like how that has fed into what you do today. Well, it's called the Ignite Intellectual Group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's not called Zorandria Morris Firm. I don't know. It's not a proper, um, it, it, it is bold. It, it People were like, you sure you're going to? You sure that's the name? Mm. And this is where Shoni is in Zarandran as well, is deeply faithed in a way that don't might not look like God is all up and through this or a higher power. I'm listening to what spirit is telling me to name this thing. To hell with all of y'all humans who can't see it. Mm. That's not, you know, they laughed at Noah till it started raining type shit. Right. <laughs> I'm not. I, the, the message is for me. It's not. I don't have to explain the message to you. Mm. I mean, I can, I, but I don't have to defend the message to you. Yes. Yeah. So, in light of explaining but not defending, can you share what what was the message? Why did you name this this entity ignorant intellectual? In you know, in the face of all these people looking at you, like, wait a minute, you gonna do what? Why did it mean well, that it, much? The ignorant intellectual has been around before it was like an Instagram, before it was a LLC, before it was a minority women on business for New York. I just want people to understand that this shit is not just in my head. And it was first the bridge between the hood and the ivory tower was the tagline back 10, maybe 15 years ago. I don't know when it first, back when Tumblr was a thing. Okay. And it, and I began to be like, because I have always found myself straddling multiple worlds. So whether that's my gender, straddling multiple worlds in a decolonized world, I might be looked at as like a gatekeeper between the spiritual and physical worlds, like a non-binary person, or whether that's being a Libra, my son is in Libra. So I'm always seeking balance mm. or whether that is the girl who lived in Holly Grove, but went to white schools. So I'm educated amongst wealthy elites, but have to come back home to a raggedy ass house, abundant with love and all of that great things. I can't complain about that part of life. But so the ignorant intellectual is a, a 
a both and. It's a holding of multiple spaces because you're not going to make me choose. Am I ignorant or am I intellectual? Right. I'm both. (laughs) And And if you follow that brand, you see that you're going to get deep thought passed through some ignorant ass framing sometimes. I love it. The thing that that excites me so much about about ignorant intellectual as a whole concept and what you embody around it is when you look at brilliance or intelligence as this thing over here and it looks this one way and the people we should listen to look this one way and behave this one way, then it just alienates us from wisdom and knowledge that don't come packaged like that. Mm, Correct. And it's just not true that it only exists in that one kind of package. Yeah. And we spend all this time and energy depleting ourselves, trying to look and act like what the picture of brilliance, there are probably some, some, some white folks from the days of yore decided was the package. And the closer you can look to that. That the more you are that. Yeah, you, you get a higher spot on the hierarchy and you can join us in oppressing other people if you yeah. can like keep looking and doing this. And that's part of the framing of the ignorant intellectual group is that we imagine without whiteness at the center. I actually don't, I know whiteness is around. I know white individuals are around, but I don't know if I care enough to center them. Yeah. I'm, I'm I... Toni Morrison is one of my favorites for that reason. Oh. She will tell you, Jeff. On the record. Even the mere question is racist. That that clip, that clip was a master class. (laughs) (laughs) She was trying to be cool. She said, (laughs) right, right. But why aren't we in your books? We should have Miss. dramatic readings of that clip every every year. Somebody every should just year. reenact it. Oh, yes. poetry, poetry. But it's a bold thing to get to in life, to get to that understanding that, oh, I shouldn't have whiteness at the center of everything good and great. And let me now live my life in such a way that I don't do that. But you lose, you lose. You lose things, yeah. Well, it, this is this is where we're restricted to the English language, which is a colonized language, because lose can be broken down. Mm. There are things you don't have access to. I Got don't know it. if it's a loss to your uh, your why or your, but there there is a, a un- places you're not invited to, connections you don't have, people who don't work with you. Yeah. I don't believe that that is a loss to my reason for being on the planet, that you can't derail that. But I do want to be clear that when you are bold enough to say and to do and to exist inside of this belief that whiteness actually, first of all, is bondage. Second of all, it's not necessarily fun. Third of all, I'm an epidemiologist, so it's also killing us. Yeah. Because there are people wedded to whiteness who look like us. Yes, We went to the number one HBCU in the country. And like I said on our 20-year reunion call, because we had a virtual reunion, Spelman College is not the number one HBCU without being wedded to whiteness. Mm. You would never be on U.S. News and World Report. You would never, people wouldn't even know you exist. Because we got HBCUs that don't, nobody even know it's an HBCU. They don't even know it, it is around. Yeah. Spelman College is what it is for all of 
I am a Baldwin. I critique it because I love it. It is yeah. what it is because it is wedded to whiteness in very particular ways. Mm. It's a harsh yeah. truth at Spelman. I got a very good understanding that I was part of a, a diasporic people. I understood mm-hmm. my greater connection to Black people across the diaspora. But what I did not get was, I guess, just like revolutionary thinking around how to not conform to what whiteness needed for me to be successful. Yeah, I feel like I still got education around how to go do it that way that already mm-hmm. is the way success looks. Rebellion or anything that looks like that, anything that looks mm-hmm. like going outside of a norm. And I was trying to look up the guy Spelman fired, Howard Zinn, for oh. revolutionizing students. Oh, snap. Yeah, his name was Howard Zinn. I don't, I don't know if he's still alive, but. And I remember learning from Dr. Guy Sheftall that he got fired for radicalizing students. And he white, I think. Mm. And it was like, well, how, what you not going to do is go too far. Anyway, I agree. It, we were prepared for a particular type of post-college experience. Yeah. yeah. We are expected to be econ majors, physicians, lawyers. We brag on putting them the most black attorneys into second most black doctors. That's a, that's not the most creative or like, you know? Yeah. So when did you get to that place of this ain't it, this is not quite fitting the way I want to live my life. I just have a memory of, it must've been about 2010, maybe. I've had many careers. One of them is a certified pharmacy tech. And so from high school up until that job that I'm about to talk about, I was a certified pharmacy tech. I used to work at the the CBS on Ralph David Abernathy. And I remember getting a job in Philly. It was in Swedesboro, New Jersey. I had moved to Philadelphia. I lived in Philly for five years at a veterinary pharmacy. Um, pharmacy is an abundant field. Like you could work retail, you could work hospital. Okay. But I worked at a veterinary pharmacy. But animals consume the most antibiotics in the country. Long, white supremacy. And I remember getting a job and I remember one day, this is where I started feeling like, you know, that the pain and the bud is too much. I started feeling spiritually like something is happening, something's shifting. But it was my first time feeling it. So I didn't really know what was happening. And I remember going to work. Child, it's the first week on the job. What are you doing, Zerandrian? So I go to work. I clock in. I get I walk back out the door. I get in my car. I go to McDonald's. I go get breakfast. I come back, I eat in the the kitchen or whatever, cafeteria. An hour later, I'm, I go, then I go on the floor and I start working like regular. My boss calls me to his office. The cameras saw you clocking in and leaving and coming back and eating. This is not the way I work. Like there are some people, this is a norm for them. I was raised by a boomer. You work well. I have never been fired, etc. They said, we're going to send you home today. And we'll call you to see what's what. Something said real loud, take everything out your locker because this is it for you. You ain't coming back. They're going to fire you. I said, okay, well, I took everything out of my locker. They fired, this some Friday shit. They fired me on my day off on Friday. <laughs> Dead ass. For clocking in, leaving on the clock, mm. leisurely coming back, eating leisurely in the cafeteria, <laughs> 
coming on the pharmacy floor maybe 30, 40 minutes late. <laughs> Keisha, uh, this is not okay. <laughs> it wasn't that you okay. went to eat. You clocked in. I clocked in, walked out the door, drove, came back, ate in the cafeteria. It wasn't something. even across the street to walk. You had to get in the oh, car. Right. I went to McDonald's. I got me a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit. I remember the You remember the meal? <laughs> Ooh. And so you asked me, when did I know? <laughs> I remember getting fired and feeling an immense amount of sadness that that is how I showed up in that job. But an immense amount, it was like, mm. this is not, this is something cracked, something fissured, separated in that moment. I got fired. It was my first time getting fired, I think. Oh. I, I think I might have got fired one time before that for insubordination. Speaking of, mm. I'm getting me in trouble. At a pharmacy. But I remember that moment. I ain't have no fucking money. Oh, man. I was, for the first, this is the only time I ever lived with somebody. So I have a responsibility to show up with half. But I felt, I was like, this. I had never felt peace in that type of situation. Usually it's frantic, it's fear, it's, yeah. you just got fired. like, And I've never been the same. That is a pin, pivotal moment. Somebody will be like, well, when did you... Think you ruined your scalp with alopecia. I can remember that day. And it was senior year, Spelman College, uh, senior class trip. I could, we might talk about it. We might not. Somebody say, when do you remember something clicking in you where you were like, this life is not for you. Something else is for you. It was the moment of getting fired. Wow. And feeling free. Instead of sad. I was not. I was not sad. I worked. I was. I was 30 something years old and I worked at McDonald's from 5 a.m. to 1 p.m. making $7.25 an hour for like three months after that. Then I got another, cause, cause let me tell you, 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 you usually doubt God when God do something big like that. So I was mm. still on my, but I got to do well. I have to. Yeah. So I got a job cause at a Keystone Mercy Health Plan as a statistician, which is in my field. Um, I have two public health degrees, epidemiology and biostatistics. So I was saying, no, but I need a job. Went back and got another job, a real job, well-paying job. I don't remember how I quit. I quit that job. It just just was not working. That that good job shit wasn't working. Mm. And that is when I began to, that's when the ignorant intellectual came to me. That's when creativity started coming to me. That's when I got a job at the Morris home working with trans and gender variant. We called them gender variant back then. People addicted to drugs and alcohol. That's when I started doing poetry in Philadelphia. I couldn't go back. I could not go back to whitewash, quiet desk job. And I wonder if it was something in you that you hadn't heard yet that made you go to that McDonald's and was like, we need her to get fired today. (laughs) And so, yeah, because it is so something like that is so antithetical to who I am as an employee. I didn't, I've never even told my mama that I got fired because I what you that is not how I am bred to work mm. to go eat on the clock. That's some I don't know. <laughs> that's pretty wild. That's a trash employee job. <laughs> I worked at Emory after that for six years in Atlanta in a pharmacy, but I never worked the same again. I began to set my own schedule. I began to put, to tell my supervisor when I'm working versus asking for time off. I began to see that you could still do some stuff, 
but you, I, I just never engaged in employment the same ever again. I never worked full time. I never had another. Com- I committed to a full time role. Mm. No, I feel that it's a shift. It's a mental shift of how you specifically want to engage in things that work for you. Yes. All right, it's time for a quick break because I need to talk to the people who might want to book me. So listen, if you are in the position of curating powerful learning experiences and you like what you're learning here on You Better, let's take this thing to the next level. Email me today to book me for your next event or broadcast where personal growth or activating care for different communities and cultures are on the agenda. I am ready to moderate meaningful conversations, deliver insightful interviews, lead learning circles, or to speak about how we can be better to ourselves and others. Tap into my enthusiasm for encouraging us to love and celebrate the richness of our varied experiences. Email me today at info at keishagarrison.co. And don't get it mixed up. That's an I before E in that Keisha, and that is .co at the end. Info at keishagarrison.co. I'll be looking out for your message. Now let's get back to the show. Now, you said something a minute ago about people who look like us sometimes are the ones carrying the message from white supremacy. Uh, I want to talk about that a little bit because I do feel like there are there are a lot of things about white supremacy that impact all of our lives. But I get a little discouraged sometimes about whether or not we're going to be able to break some of these things down because there's so many people with blinders on about it because they don't see themselves in it and how how we all put certain restrictions on our lives because of it. Because people are imagining, oh, when you say white supremacy, you're talking about them dudes with the tiki torches and they they hollering and if they're, they're, up, they're saying the epithets, like that's what they picture. I just want to just have a moment where we can just talk about what is it really when we're talking about white supremacy, because people might not see the connection to any of the stuff we're talking about. White supremacy in a very digestible way is the belief that even if you don't say, yes, I believe this thing, there's that saying, it's not the shark, it's the water. White supremacy is literally the air we breathe. You don't choose to breathe. You are not sitting every inhale, exhale, inhale. It is automatic. <laughs> yeah. And I think part of why Black folk in particular struggle with acknowledging the reality of powers outside of their control is because of how little control we have. And so you want me to also concede and acknowledge that there are big sh- things that I cannot see that are controlling me. And the flip side, which I want to say, we are the oppressed in that we are told in so many fucking ways, it's your, of your doing that you are in this social position. Yeah. It is of your behaviors. It is of your decisions. You smoke, you drink, you did what people say all the time on, on social media. Well, if they just wouldn't, why, if you wouldn't have done this, you wouldn't have got arrested. So it is the both and that white supremacy is all of those things. Yeah. It is the messages that it's your fault and not systems or how they relate to the systems pattern decisions. We are not making decisions just void of the air we breathe. Yeah. So I do want to say that white supremacy, if you don't understand white supremacy as something that is just being inhaled and exhaled by you, then we having separate conversations. Yep. So to what I was saying, white supremacy can be many, it manifests many ways. It, 
is a mom saying, Lord, your head's so nappy when she's trying to comb it at two or three or four. It is your mama putting a PCJ, which is a pressing comb in a jar in your head at three years old, sending a strong message from young. And so when you see the 17 year old obsessed with their hair, that is not without a historical context. And it doesn't start with just the mama saying, your hair's so nappy. That was not the beginning of the white supremacist notion. She had messages about hair. And it isn't just, oh, she was one of the few black mamas who didn't know how to do hair. Yeah. It's not that. Mm-mm. It might be true. Child. Who knows? Patricia <laughs> might actually not know how to do hair. Um, and. <laughs> yeah. it White supremacy, white nationalism, white dominance are... It, you, there's very few topics you could talk about specifically to a colonized land that you can't tie, you can't have a white supremacist conversation about. Facts. We were talking about representation and how that matters. And I think about the media and we talk about the media and it sounds like this is totally, it's, it's just soaked in it and this big entity. But when you break that big entity down into the individuals who also breathe that same air, making decisions coming with the things that they have absorbed. And the thing is that they're mindless. Those examples, these people are mindlessly making decisions. Mm -hmm. They're media analysts, sports. And if you are, this is, so when I worked at DOH, DOH has multiple divisions. Department of Health is a city health department. One of the biggest targeted uh, divisions that we work with was our Office of Emergency Preparedness and Response. That's a name, OPER. Every city health department has an OPER type thing. We see an outbreak, OPER goes first. We see something happening around public health in the city, OPER is activated. Most city health departments have been active on activated status since March 2020. Mm. We go to OPER first, much like we would go to media analysts first to begin to do equity work is because when you, if you are not internally aligned on equity, your quick reflexes are going to be some of the most fuck shit reflexes you can find. Mm. Oprah is the office of emergency preparedness and response. Oprah do not have time. If legionnaires breaks out in the Bronx, COVID popped off in March to sit here and be like, now let's implement an equity plan. I don't have time if my boss at CNN tells me do this thing around media mm. to be like, if I'm not instinctively thinking equitably, yeah, I don't have time to think equitably and a deadline is in five hours. Right. If I am not drinking equity, breathing equity, if the systems are not equitable around me, the time around quick responses and demands, I'm never going to be equitable. I'm, that is when my biases are most going to show up. Absolutely. So when we talk about media analysts and people on social media and the quick nature of social media, the quick nature of media, how uh, there's only five companies that dominate 90 some percent of every inkling of media that you breathe, whether that is TV, radio, billboards, signage. The time to do equity is not in the moment because everything due tomorrow, tomorrow morning, everything due tomorrow. So who has time to think outside of what you feel and what you have absorbed over the course of whatever your life has been? Who has time when the deadline is tomorrow? When you see the Pepsi commercials and all of these commercials that do fuck shit around skin tone and 
they didn't think that this this skin tone would produce this skin tone. And we having these colorism conversations. Then people are not necessarily sitting there in the moment with a tight deadline thinking about equity. No. Mm-mm. Which is why you have to get them to breathe equity. Their reflexes and their biases must be equitable. <laughs> Shit. If a bias could be equitable. <laughs> Man, that, that, that sounds very hard. That sounds to get someone to breathe equity and to shift how you move. Because I feel like just as a black woman, as a, a dark skinned black woman who has had the experiences that I've had, even I've had to pause and be like, am I perpetuating some ridiculous white supremacist notions? Like probably how you absolutely there's many things. But it's also why I don't care about getting people to be equitable. Mm. If if you are sitting inside of a system that has equitable mandates, that's what I care more about. Mm. I need the systems around you to dictate you do your role in this way. I need the media process mm. and CNN to mandate that the way in which you do reporting must follow these guidelines because I can't give a fuck about whether you equitable. Inequitable people inside of equitable systems are going to be forced to do their work in a particular way. Mm. The reason why people can be inequitable in their jobs is because they're supported by inequitable systems. So I actually don't care. I can't care. I care, but I can't care if Keisha as an individual did that news report or Keisha is equitable inside. Mm. Your news report wouldn't pass comms if comms said this is some problematic shit. Mm. Because I need communications inside of ESPN, CNN, whatever news outlet, we talk about media, Instagram, to block your shit from leaving. Yeah, you see how that continual bounce back is gonna get you in line. Eventually, you're gonna be like, learn behavior now. Shoot, my stuff keep yes. coming back. I, my stuff keep coming back. I ain't make the deadline because I was in here talking sideways about black women. If Jim in comms wrote you back as Keisha and said, Keisha, uh, POC color, that what is this in red? Over time, you're gonna be like, let me find, let me figure this out. Facts. That's fact. Because Jim sits inside of communications, which says these are the mandates. These things cannot leave this institution looking like this. Mm. All right. All right. Do that work. Change the system. That's systems. the work That's... of the ignorant intellectual group. <laughs> <laughs> Do that work. Uh, being inside of some of these organizations, trying to get people to change systems or to think differently. I would say as an employee on the inside, it is it hurts mm-hmm. like it is painful to try to do it because you're you're in here experiencing what you're experiencing. But then you're also trying to make change and you're trying to do your regular job to keep that paycheck that still is working in the same way of the system that you're trying to break. So you just an equitable system would never have an employee doing two jobs. Look, they can't see the way that my eyes just hit to the side, y'all. So that, would, that, that, <laughs> that, that last example would never work if you was equitable. You would never have paid employees who are who are hired to do X also be the people who are unpaid doing your equity work. Mm. But but I would challenge you. Look how easy you said that because you used to be in the mule. No, well, I left. So. <laughs> 
but it was part it was part of it it felt normal up until it yes. felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. it, it felt like oh this is how we do this you have these groups and you sign up and you do these things because you care ergs are care ergs are carrying companies they are and 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 you when you're i would say you're because it got to a point where i couldn't do that type of thing anymore i was like i have to make I have to have the impact I want to have in the ways that feel comfortable to me. And at a certain point that stopped feeling comfortable. It still took me many years to figure out why it didn't feel comfortable. Cause for a while I just thought I was funny acting. <laughs> but <laughs> you might, Listen, this is the thing about funny acting, but that girl, I am funny acting. I'm also hungry. I'm also tired. I'm also overworked and underpaid, but I will say to the last part of your comment, some of also the problem with this, taking people who are here for a particular role at an organization and also tacking on equity as doing equity work is partially responsible for some of the fuck shit we see because simply having an experience is not having an analysis. Oh, the way I'm snapping. Just because I have an experience as an oppressed person does not mean I have an analysis of oppression. Look, let me stop. I'm making my computer bounce. I am dancing over here because that is the Just fact. because I'm black does not mean I should be doing equity work. Just because I'm a woman does not mean I should be doing equity work. Just because I am non-able body does not mean I should be doing equity work. And experience is not an analysis. Ooh, let the church say amen. So you got, hey, black girl. Come, come do equity work. Come be in this ERG. Come, come be the chair of this committee. Come, come, because you're black. And that black girl gets in a role as the ERG chair and spews white supremacy, vomits it. And the organization is like, well, a black person said it. Said it. And so yep. now uh, we must be doing it, it right. Must be true. Yeah. The way that grinds my gears, sticks in my craw. (laughs) When I see the people of an oppressed community leading without without any analysis, without any like framework of having thought about this work, when they're just coming from an emotional place of I care because I've had this experience, but then they get put on these big stages to represent a people and represent the interest of a people, it drive it. <laughs> I, I sometimes just have to walk out the room because I can't watch it. It's so it's so detrimental. It's so backwards and it's so harmful to see that in action. And it happens over and over. It's actually who they're going to choose to be their chief diversity officer. My VP don't look like me. I don't care who don't like it. My all them T-shirts they was making. My VP don't look like me. And I don't know if my new Supreme Court justice does, but I'm very happy that we have a black woman on the Supreme Court. Well, because you need to learn not you as in Keisha, but we need to learn how to sit in tension and nuance. I am both happy and I don't know. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to see. I'm going to see what 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 uh, Katanji do. Yeah. I'm going to see it for me. I, I feel you. It could be that this concept of what this court has been makes me uncomfortable. And also I would like to be happy that, okay, well, at least somebody who looked like me is sitting in here going to be a part of the decisions that are getting made because the decisions was going to be getting made anyway. 
Anyway, this was going to exist whether I like it or not. And some of the annoying part of the confirmation hearings for me were, which I think the the decision of the powers that be in, that helped their side. But some of the annoying part is that them Republicans got on there and berated her so bad, I couldn't even see what the hell her viewpoints was because they didn't. I'm here to see what this woman's belief is. I'm here to see how she would do shit. And you didn't just took over, Raphael. <laughs> I can't even I can't even see how this lady operates because your racism is so thick. But I think that may have been the thing, because then what happened is that we had a tide swell of now I must support this lady because she black and getting berated. Yeah. Hmm. Now I got to shift my whole approach. Right. And that's, that's what white supremacy now. does. We gonna get there. We we kid to talk about how white supremacy robs us of imagination. I couldn't even fucking imagine. Yeah. Because you have robbed me, insert Raphael. Because I would that would have been my comeback to Ted Cruz. <laughs> Listen, Raphael, because you didn't forgot you, Raphael. We rolling the R strong. You didn't forgot you, Raphael. I would have never. I would never talk call Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. Raphael, reminder, Cuban. <laughs> Raphael. Because you think you white, sir. And you a white Cuban, but you think you is like Anglo white, Raphael. Yeah. But you. But anyway. The point. It's like, it takes up so much space. It's be everywhere. Lindsey Graham. It, it, who, you know, I'm all about height and masculinity. Mm. These people are always under 5'7", these men. Wow. These men. <sighs> That's not the point why we. So, yes, I hold both tensions of how do you find joy, imagination and liberation inside of white supremacist structures? You either choose to see the joy and the happiness in a big lip, sister locked, dark skinned woman named Katanji. And you find joy in that or you're like, but what about and I can't have too many what abouts because then I don't get to experience joy. Yeah. But I always want to remind us that white supremacy is making us make those type of fucked up decisions, either joy or critique every day. Mm, let's talk about every it. day. I have to make a decision. Either I find joy or I critique it. And sometimes I just want to find joy, but I also want to live in a world where I just there is just joy to find. My finding joy is not also having to push aside valid critique. I just want something that is just fucking joyful. Yeah, because I need that. Because <laughs> I need that. My womb needs that. My fibroids need that. My insert. I don't have fibroids, but my point, black women. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what I want. We need it. We need it. Look, we we talk about white supremacy taking up all of this space, introducing all of this stuff, making us focus on the doggone children's book instead of the other things we want to talk about. There is, I, I love what you said on your on one of your IG posts. White supremacy robs us of imagination. It steals our innate ability to see past our present moment. Yeah, it does. Say that again. I said that. You said, you said what you had said. You said white supremacy robs us of imagination. It steals our innate ability to see past our present moment. Yeah. Mm. Damn. I say good shit sometimes. You too. This is why I be standing so hard. This is it. 
I want to talk about how we get robbed of our imagination. It keeps you in the rat race. It keeps you on a hamster wheel. It keeps you arguing about what is mm. versus what the possi- what is the possibility? What is possible? It keeps you having half of the room discussing what is possible and the other half, the realists, saying, but mm. insert limitation. But what about this thing that exists now? And my response is, but we are dreaming. We are talking about what is possible. We are not talking about what is. And I think there's value to people who keep you in reality, but that is not, that ain't always what's needed. Right. White supremacy robs you of the capacity. White supremacy also gives us a narrative that dreaming and laughter and joy, you age out of that after a while. Why? Yes. We don't skip around anymore. We don't, after about six, you look stupid skipping in front of your parents. You know, 16 year olds don't still skip. If you do, you on a spectrum. Like people are questioning, you know, yeah. adults. We actually have to articulate or set up retreats for adults to nap and sleep and skip and frolic. Yeah. You age, because you, we live in a world that says you age out of joy after a while. Mm-hmm. You're too old for that. You got the friend who's still giggly and you're like, what is wrong with Linus? Like, <laughs> Not Linus. The fuck? You know? Look, this is why I purposefully walk my neighborhood and blow bubbles. You Yes. I blow bubbles. because. But bubbles... you probably get named as the weird black girl. Likely. But then people be enjoying them bubbles. They smile mm-hmm. at first before mm-hmm. they think another thought. Their first instinct is to smile at them it's bubbles. I play a lot of games in the work I do. A lot of activities are framed as games. And you could probably imagine if I'm doing work with like a Fortune 500 company, it takes longer. Like if you start running a time clock, it takes longer for them to bend into fun Mm, mm -hmm. than like a nonprofit that works in community. It takes them a while too. The easiest group to get to imagine are children. It all you got to yeah. do, literally, this is all kids say. This is nine times out of 10, this they question. If you say, go design the world you want to live in. It's all they say. They're going to say, Professor Z, are you saying I could have ice cream every day? It's going to be something <laughs> like that. Are you saying I could have cake every day in the world? If you say you could design whatever world you want, they'll be like, ice cream for breakfast. And if you say yes, they run off. Which is why intergenerational work is important when wanting to design a new world. You need young kids to create Mm -hmm. because they come up with some of the most they are the closest to still being on the other side of this thing it is why i saw that meme where it was the elder she probably was gonna die really soon the elder holding a newborn Mm. and it's a, a culture on a continent where the baby goes home with the grandparents so that they can the baby can so that the grandparents can download information to the baby ah. because they're both so, the closest to the other world. Mm. And so it's this down, it's this deco- totally decolonized way of thinking, but uh, white supremacy and imagination is totally, imagination is antithetical to white supremacy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it completes in so many ways. It, it forces you to always be in the moment to always be fighting for right now, to always be having to figure out right now that, which is why I think probably our poorest or people without, people who lack the most, probably 
dream the least. So focus. there's no time. You got to survive. You keep you focused on survival inside of this yeah. system. So to survive it, you have to spend you have to spend energy, spirit, mind absorbing what it is so you can know how to navigate it and survive it. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe at 75, when you retire, you if you can retire. You may begin to think about something else, but we need people across generations thinking about what can be. Mm-hmm. I have decided to establish a dreaming practice in the house with my 11 year old. Mm. I want to give her permission early on in her life to mm. be like me and you kid, like we get to dream and let's have fun with it. I do want her to grow up with that in her now that I'm aware of how mm-hmm. detrimental it is to not dream outside of the present circumstances. Mm-hmm. Cause you, that's important. Cause you can dream right inside of this. Yes, you can. You can dream based off what you've seen or experienced, which is reforming, not transforming, but you, you know, you could, and that's often what systems want us to do is okay, fine, go dream, but Keep it inside. Dream inside of, here's your parameters. Here's your parameters. And then you just become a continual producer of what we already have. Yeah. Which is not the point. That's not, that's not the point. When I say I'm a prison abolitionist, I am not saying, I told my friend this very thing today. No, I'm not saying close the prisons today. That's not what most people who are like, I don't want this shit. What I'm saying is that I actually want to live in a world that doesn't demand prisons in the way we have them. Meaning other shit has changed too. Yes. Yes. I don't want to live in a world that demands prison labor for my survival. Cause I want to be clear that those of us on the outside are free because of print. Like there's a direct correlation between what prison labor does for us. Mm. We buy a prison and demand that 90% of our beds are filled at all times means I need bodies. Yeah. I don't want to live in that world where my income is dependent upon people being incarcerated. I don't want to live in a world where people feel like live by the gun, die by the gun. Mm. What is possible? I'm just cool. I say all the time, I'm just cuckoo enough to ask those questions because yeah. I firmly believe we can live in some other shit. We do not have to live in this shit. We don't. And and I think that's when the what about chorus kicks in when people dream out loud and hit you with the, but what about this? What about that? And I just want to be like, shut up, Debbie, down it. <laughs> like whatever constraint you just put up, ask yourself, why does that constraint exist? Interrogate that more deeply. There's something about their experiences that has robbed them of belief. Mm. So what about your experiences? Because I'm going to argue that you probably were once wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, full of belief. And over time, white supremacy has chipped away. What what has happened to result in this person in front of me saying all the time, that's not going to work? Yeah. And how can I undo? How can that be undone? Or how can we live in a world that don't create the Debbie Downers? I also think that because of the way that white supremacist education has shaped our historical hero narratives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People can't even see mm. the what we could be because the hero narrative is so 
<laughs> it's, it's so, so ain't that. It's, yes, yes. It's that over there. It, it looks like something over there that's unattainable. It's so well crafted and sold that you can't see, for example, a Chris Smalls with the Amazon mm. labor union coming. You can't even see that in your imagination because... But wait, when I learned about Martin Luther King, he was he in a, a suit and a tie, and he was a, like that. He was this exalted, perfect mm-hmm. figure, and you probably they probably aged him up in their mind. Mm-hmm. Don't even realize mm-hmm. that he was only in his thirties when 30s. he died. Like the the hero narrative gets to be so curated, yep. curated that you can't. And su- that's another thing. White supremacy is the master fucking curator, the mat, the goat. Mm. The it is the goat of what uh, there's this woman that does storytelling. What she calls the stock story. There are four types. There's the stock story, the liberation story, the and it's all these ways in which you can tell stories. And the stock story is the standard hero narrative. And white supremacy is the goat of curating a narrative of who starts it, who ends it. It tells when the pilgrims arrived, mm-hmm. it tell it versus it, 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 oh, it is, it is the, I tell everybody, white supremacy is, is very successful. Oh, it is very impactful. It is, it's the goal. You can't deny that. The shit is masterful. It works. It works every day. Because it, it's it's, ma- it's, it's masterful at creating agents and people who mm-hmm. who think that they're not an agent who are yeah. every day. Because you got people who look like Chris Smalls, who dress like Chris Smalls, complaining that Chris Smalls is not wearing suits to meet with these white uh, lawmakers. That she he's shaking hands with white men in suits. People who look like live around no Chris Smalls. And those of us who don't, because there's also us talking about why this man don't have a suit on, which is why my Facebook post said, what were you wearing when you got Amazon to form a union? (laughs) What did you have on when you challenged Jeffrey five foot three Bezos Mm. and got a union on Staten Island at Amazon after they had fired your ass? What did you have on? Think about whatever energy was preserved in that man's mind that he didn't have to have anxiety about going to go get fitted for just thinking about like, I gotta, I gotta learn how I'm supposed to show up in that room. Instead, he could be fully in his own power and flow thinking the thoughts that he wants to think using his energy and his spirit Mm -hmm. to create the idea and the goals and and birth the stuff he wanted to birth instead of focusing his imagination on what he might need to be doing in that room. Because when you dress outside of your alignment, you block your flow. Mm. Be clear. If he, if he'd have showed up in a suit, which is not him, whole energy, his majestic, his power would have been diluted. Yes. Because when you're out of alignment, you are, your vibrations drop. When you show up inauthentic, and if you show up inauthentic your whole life, you have never fully embodied your maximum contribution or, you know, embodiment. Literally putting on a suit and that's out of alignment drops your flow. Yep. Mm. I still want to know what all these people had on when they got Amazon <laughs> to unionize. Something tells me they don't have an answer. 
They, because I don't understand they, the power of Amazon and unions. I this man is. I'm I'm following him, honey. It, I mean, amazing. I don't give a damn what he got on. It's, I'm follow, I want to see where it's going to be able to recognize that brilliance looks like Chris Smalls, to be able to mm-hmm. recognize that impact, to be able to recognize that whatever it is, like, yeah, that's what it looked like. Cause that's how he showed up and that's how he felt comfortable. And that's how he felt in, in his own power mm-hmm. for people to even be able to process in their mind, like, wait, intellect looked like that too. Mm-hmm. I also want, whiteness to learn to be forced to speak another language yes. i do yes i do i'm actually tired of whiteness because i'm a i'm a guess i never even heard i'm guessing you have a new york accent but i'm guessing he doesn't speak in uh in he might use some aave he might use some new york slang i'm a guess i'm, I'm vomiting on this man because i have no idea <laughs> but i need lawmakers to actually have to learn another way of speaking yes i need you to not always be around people who use English like you do. Mm-hmm. I need you to be forced to learn another dialect. So I'm a guess Chris Smalls is not speaking in a particular way. <laughs> I, I, it is why I don't change how I talk when I facilitate to these people. I, 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 if New Orleans come out, it come out. I have a, I, I have multiple Englishes as dialects listed on the resume. I'm not, I don't change. I cuss every now and then. I do not think about speaking properly necessarily. I need white, white culture and white dominance to be forced to do something else. It's singular. Instead of preserving its energy while everyone else, else scurries. Bending. Come on. To come, come scurry. to scurry. Scurry. Everybody got a scurry. To come and meet you where you at. And you know what that scurrying results in? It's the epidemiologist. Where does it? Wake it on up. Low birth rates, Mm -hmm. high infant mortality, high maternal mortality, high cases of heart disease, high cases of chakra located cancers. It's not lost on me that these gut cancers, these tongue cancers, this new shit. Wow. Scurrying. uh, What's another word we use? Uh, Persevering. Uh, sticking and staying, being able to drudge through PhD programs as black women. That resilience. Resilience. All of that to the epidemiologist in me is like, oh, yeah, high death rates. Early death or, or existing with autoimmune diseases and lupuses and the graves and all of this mm-hmm. thing. Breast cancers and esophageal cancers and all of these things, some of the cases we see, because I don't want people to think everybody that got cancer is because of that, but some of the stuff we see, we would not see in a liberated world. Some of these diseases to to the magnitude. That's right. The stresses wouldn't be the same. The way we live in it and with it would be different. Mm -hmm. Mm. Oh yeah. So I'm with Chris Smalls. He keep going to the then people keep going to the capitals in your gold chains and your bandanas, sir. I'm inspired. I feel like I was already doing me, but I'm going to do me even more because he, yeah. it's just a little shot of like, ooh, mm-hmm. yes. Bandana. Chris Smalls. Oh, Chris Smalls, you are an inspiration, sir. We talking about you today. Give you your flowers. You need to uh, reach out to him to get him on your podcast. Oh, he probably got so many people trying Stop. to cut him. But... No limitations. Ah. No limitations. Yeah. We're not doing it. Let me put the what about on the shelf. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Look, okay. So you, you keeping me straight on my dream and how do you, how do you make time to dream, Sarandra? Practically, I often nap or lay in my bed and just dream. Like I'll close my, like that's practical. That's very practical. You'd be surprised how many people don't nap. So thank you for saying it. Yeah, I nap. I'm a napper. I also sometimes just lay with my eyes closed and you'll just see that your mind starts doing amazing things. A lot of my process is mental, like of 100% to get a thing done, 90% is me in my head and 10% is execution. I work out and I also eat what I want, which is probably why I don't look like I'm Both and. <laughs> um, I have begun to say no to things I actually don't want to do, which is I didn't always say no with as much frequency. I've probably always said no, but... If it's not like bringing me joy, mm-hmm. I don't, for the past probably six months, I have not been around because I realized how much even social things I was doing that just wasn't joyful. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't. And if it doesn't, if the invitation doesn't make me excited, I don't. And you will see that that is restoring to actually not be out doing shit. That's not what you want to do. Yeah. Whether that's friends you've had for a long time, family, some of these places where it's more like, oh, it's reflexive. I got to show yeah. up. Mm-mm. But sometimes you show up and then you'd be like, I feel. My nervous system is all just not feeling good. Mm hmm. All right. All right. That's a good one. Keep yourself out of that, that kind of yeah. energy as often as possible. As I imagine, I fantasize. I spend substantial time envisioning. Yes. I do that. I meditate, but I don't really journal. I've never been a journaler. This is practical and spiritual. Okay. I stretch. I stretch. Ah. Stretch. Um, yeah, stretch. That, that's... Uh, as somebody who is really cerebral, always in my head, stretching really connects me to my body and it helps me feel pleasure mm. in my body. Yeah. Stretch. And I'm also on this pleasure shit too. Hey, letting people know. I tell everybody like you got the joy and pleasure and I feel like the word pleasure mm-hmm. brings up very specific thoughts for people. <laughs> you people need to expand their thinking. But yeah, sex, sex and what else? Sex and when you go back to the food, you said you, you eat what you want. I said, that's one of the biggest pleasures of adulthood to me is that nobody is saying what I got to eat. Yes. And that when I want to have a pleasurable eating experience, I can go get because, you know, I have I have those means to Mm -hmm. get what it is that that would please me Mm -hmm. to enjoy. Yes. Yes. And that matters. That matters. Especially because there was a time I didn't have those means. Right. (laughs) I don't know if you follow Kev on stage. But so he is hilarious. He has been telling our business. He got the fried bologna with the pot. He just doing a stream. He got that tapioca juice. (laughs) When he posted the cinnamon toast. Yeah. I was like, Kev, you don't, you're telling all our business. my pain. I know Mm -hmm. all these foods. And so when you have grown up, grown up like that. Yeah. To, to have that day where you like, well, you know what today is. I want pleasure a, day. It's pleasure day, and I'd like a dumpling buffet. 
mm-hmm. and I can just like spread it out mm-hmm. and just. Be and like, I, I do. I am. Um, I am all about the presentation. Yes. Like I want my food to look pretty. If we are hanging out, I have to like really be mindful of this. But my friends make fun of me. I want to eat in wherever we're eating. I want to eat it now. I want to make it a presentation from McDonald's to Ruth Chris to whatever Commander's Palace. Take it. If we at Popeye's, I want to eat now because I don't want to eat in the car. I don't want to eat while rushing. I don't want my food to get cold when I get to the house. I want to eat now. And I wanted to, there was a man that used to work at DOH. He didn't work on my floor, but I think he liked our kitchen every day. He would come to the kitchen and he would have a spread. He would put his earphones in. He would tuck his napkin and he would eat his lunch in okay. leisure every day. That The image of that just made me relax a little bit. Every day. And I will always see him. I tap him on the shoulder. He waved because I'd be like, you better lay this, these containers out. <laughs> lay it out. Tuck that napkin. If I'm going to be in the bondage of the DOH, I'm going to get an hour. Of, of bliss. Just bliss. Mm-hmm. And you could tell he was so happy about his little. Mm. And see, we look at people who just sitting there by themselves, having an experience and their pleasure and be mm-hmm. like, something up. Mm-hmm. People will question it. Like, you all right? Nah, like that person nah, is I'm living good. the life. Yes. Living the life. I love it. Mm. All right. For you going forward, what would it look like for you to you better to just do you even more? I want to take funny acting black girl higher. I don't want to tell my North Star right now because when it happened, I'm going to be like, oh my God, when it happened. (laughs) But it's going to be more than just apparel, t-shirts, croc charms. To you better is to continue on my fitness, my wellness journey, not fitness journey, my wellness journey. And to allow myself to acknowledge that I actually want to start having contracts where I am doing much more strategizing on big, impactful shit. Mm. Like when I hear Biden and all these people come out with this equity, what they attempted as equity, I was like, the ignorant intellectual group should have guided that because that is trash. So I do want to take it to more than just the clients I have now. I want to have a bigger impact. All right. To think deeper and bigger for a bigger audience. All right. Keep dreaming. Keep dreaming. Thank you so much, Zorandrian, for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. All right. It is time for a quick break. Y'all, let's talk about books. You know how at the end of every episode, I give you some resources and often those resources are great books that I think would really pair well with the things that we're learning and doing here on You Better. So for that reason, the podcast is affiliated with bookshop.org. Bookshop is an online bookstore with a mission to financially support local independent bookstores. So whenever you head over to bookshop.org slash shop slash you better and purchase my recommendations, you are not only supporting your own self-love and self-discovery journey, you are also helping to keep local bookstores as an integral part of our culture and communities. And on top of that, you are also financially supporting the production of You Better. Again, that's bookshop.org slash shop slash you better. Head over there to get shopping. Okay, now let's get back to the show. All right, y'all, we said a lot today. 
there were times during that conversation that I was jumping up and down in my seat and I wish you could have seen me, but whew, I hope that you took as much from that conversation as I did. We covered so much ground, so I won't even attempt to summarize all the learnings that there were here. And I would be super interested in hearing what resonated for you all. So find me on Instagram at Keisha underscore Garrison and tell me what popped for you. The biggest part of this episode for me, though, is about questioning what part of your identity is still tied to white supremacist teaching or conditioning. It has taken us our whole lives to become who we are right now, to learn what to assign these labels of good or bad to, right or wrong, worthy or unworthy. So it's going to take a long time to build new habits, new mental frames and lifestyles that don't feed this thing that is literally killing us. I want us to stop demanding that the majority of people burn all their energy, quiet their true essence, and make themselves sick so that whiteness can rest in a hammock while we feed it grapes. We have to graduate our understanding of white supremacy so that we can stop knee-jerk reacting to the shark and start studying the water. That will lead us to different questions and hopefully to more dreaming outside of our current reality and into more sustainable change for ourselves and for the whole world. I know, it's a lot. Deep breaths. For resources for this week's episode, I mean, obviously, if you are part of an organization that has any aspirations of being anti-racist, check out the Ignite Intellectual Group and reach out to them to see about having them do work with your organization. And otherwise, uh, Zarandrian shared a book with me that has been meaningful in her life, so I will share that with you. It is a book called Conversations with God, An Uncommon Dialogue, Book One. That's by Neil Donald Walsh. So I will link to that book in the show notes so we can all check it out. And there you go. I'm also going to reach out to Chris Smalls, like she said. I will keep y'all posted about how that goes. You just never know. I do not know this gentleman, and I'm super inspired by and proud of him. So I'm going to reach out, and I'll let you know how it goes. I'm going to end it right there. And with that, I hope you learned something today that will help you to you better. See you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you found value in this episode, share it with a loved one. That's the main way we keep the show going and growing. And please leave a rating and a review for me. Let me know what's on your mind. All right. I'll see you next week.